Well, good morning. Today we're uh, beginning a, a new series based upon a book I read uh, uh, last year, beginning of last year, and God really used it in a powerful way in my own life. Uh, it's written by Wayne Cardero, Francis Chain, and Larry Osborne. It's called Sifted. And uh, because God used a book so much, I got about a dozen of them, passed them out, gave them to different people to read. And I found real quickly that people who were either a church planter or a pastor, they really enjoyed the book because the book is really specifically written for pastors and, and even more specifically church planters, uh, pastors that help start new churches. Um, and other people enjoyed it, but they didn't get excited about it. So if you're one of those people, if you're not a pastor or church planter here, uh, I would encourage you just to enjoy my cliff notes, all right, for the next uh, three weeks. But if you want to grab the book, you can. But we're talking about Sifted, pursuing growth through the trials, challenges, and disappointments of life. And the focus so much is not on the disappointments on life. It's the focus is on pursuing growth and how God wants to grow you through the hardships and the difficulties that we all encounter in our lives. As a matter of fact, how many of you have experienced a trial or a challenge, or a disappointment. Can I see your hands? Keep them up. All right, keep your hands up. Look around. Those that don't have your hands up, please escort them to the local funeral home because apparently they're dead and we need to prepare their bodies for burial because we've all experienced trials, difficulties, hardships in our lives. We've all gone down that path and experienced those things that are so tough and so difficult uh, for each of us to encounter and to deal with. Um, and, you know, I've shared with you before that for the first 40 years of my life, I kind of skated through life. I really didn't know um, trials and disappointments. Now, I had some challenges. I got my doctor's degree. I helped plan a church. I mean, I had a lot going on. But I would, you know, it was, it was easy. I mean, it was challenging, but it was good for the first 40 years. Kind of skated through life. And then I had teenagers. That's right. You know, your day's coming. Uh, your day's coming. Now, honestly, I, I love those, those days. I joke around a lot about being teenagers, but my kids really were, for the most part, at least what I'm aware of, I keep finding out new stuff, so maybe not really, but, uh, uh, you know, they were great, and I've got great memories. Um, but it seemed like, you know, right about then, <laughs> there came a time in which my heart was sifted. It was just torn. And I really believe over the last 15 years, you know, I've made up for the, the easy of the first 40 years. Matter of fact, I think I've more than made up in the last 15 years as I found myself just being spiritually broken, beaten down, torn down, just heart crushed. And I thought today before we get into our heart and what it's really like to have our hearts broken, I thought it'd be really important to kind of put this thing into context by looking at our physical bodies first and how, how they need to be sifted, how they need to be broken down. Now, in order to do that, I thought I'd ask our, our uh, CrossFit, shows you how well I am, that's why I'm asking for help here. What do you call that? CrossFit, right? We got a CrossFit expert, uh, uh, a physical fitness guru by the name of Charbel. Charbel, you coming, buddy? I don't know if Brent tried to join me on stage the first service, so I didn't know if Brent Thank was going to try that again. <laughs> you got one fan over there. Um, we love Charbel. Charbel also works with our, our, our children, our students, and our young adults, and, uh, and he's buff, and he used to be a boxer. He's from Boston, used to be a boxer. I mean, you know, if your, your kids are breaking your heart, you need to get here on, uh, get them here on Tuesday night, and he will get them into shape. So... Uh, Bring it. That's right. See, that's the attitude, you know, bring it. So how do you build up muscle? I mean, if we wanted to be like you, Charbel, 
if I want to be like you, that's, 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 that's an impossibility. But let's just say, how do you build up muscle in our, in our physical lives? What can we do? Some specific things we can do. Um, I think that's well, hilarious. Right, that I can build up really muscle. I have a hard time eating right, by the way. I eat a lot of Chipotle. But I would say, apparently it doesn't seem like you know what that feels like, so you should probably do like 50 burpees in front of everybody right now. 50 burpees. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a good way you can definitely understand what that feeling is like. Um, but that's one way actually you can uh, cause the muscles to break down. You want to cause um, muscle confusion. Uh, so mm -hmm. one way that I do that as doing CrossFit, you do a different workout every single day. Uh, you don't do the same workout um, all the time because it, it's a lot harder for your body to progress. Um, so besides eating right, doing a different workout every single day will do that. And I don't really find that workouts are easier than others. I find out that there are workouts that are harder than others. Mm -hmm. And that's actually the challenge that I like to face. You know, we do workouts that require a lot of reps, 100 reps for one movement. When you get wow. close to that 100 rep, you know, get to like 90, <laughs> 95, this, that five more <clears throat> is really where it matters. You know, you don't, when, I, when I do it, I feel like I want to give up. I feel like I want to stop. I don't want to keep going. But mm. it's when you really want to do the rest of those reps is when you feel accomplished and you fight through that pain and you fight through that burn. And that's when you actually start to really cause your muscles to break And down. fight through that burn. So the next day you feel great as a result of this physical workout, 100 yes, reps. Yes, it's a lot harder to go to the bathroom. Yes, no, that's too, many, too much information. Just saying. But you, you burn, right? The muscles actually burn because they're actually being torn down? Right, yes, it, that's exactly what it is. So. And so you tear them down to build them up. Right, break them down to build them back up. All right, good deal, man. Thank you, buddy. You're welcome. All right, appreciate it, man. And Charbel's going to be back at the end of the service to tell you a little about our student ministry and what they just did this past week. Um, well, we need to break things down in order to build things up, right? Isn't that what he basically said? And physically, if we want to get our bodies in shape, we need to break down our muscle. We need to tear them. We need to burn them, some of his words. You know, we need to sift them. Um, and by working them to exhaustion, they become what? Stronger. And I've discovered, I think as the Bible teaches, that the same thing happens in our spiritual lives, in our emotional lives. It's when our heart is broken and busted, when our faith is questioned and we're in doubt is when we can grow stronger. God wants to do something in us so he can do something through us. Now, if you've got your Bible, your electronic advice, turn with me over to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Uh, Luke writes this passage of Scripture. I never preached from this passage of Scripture beginning with verse 31 before. Very interesting, very difficult, very maybe controversial passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 22. And Luke, we all know who Luke is, right? He's one of the four... Gospel writers, you got Matthew, help me out here, Mark, Luke, there he is, and John. And Luke actually was a medical doctor, traveled on missionary journeys with Paul, and he came to faith and had an incredible ministry, and he wrote the gospel of the story of Jesus, and he also wrote another book called the book of what? Acts, Acts of the Apostles, one of my favorite books, talks about the birth and the development of the church. Some of you need to go back to school. Okay, maybe Sunday school in Discovery Land, uh, but that's, that's Luke. And, and Luke wrote this, and apparently Luke is the only gospel writer that recorded this story of Jesus with Peter. All right, now let me set now the historical context. It's Thursday, it's Thursday, Thursday the day before Good Friday, the crucifixion of Jesus, and the disciples are meeting with Jesus in the upper room, remember the story? And he tells the disciples and he shows the disciples and he actually washes their feet. And then they share the Passover meal together. And then he teaches them. He tells them, hey, I'm going to be crucified. And they really don't want to hear that. 
And then he institute what we know today as the Lord's Supper. And now they're leaving the upper room and they're walking. They're walking to the mountains. And as they're walking to the mountains to spend some time alone with Jesus to pray, the disciples, as they're walking, they begin to argue among themselves. You know the story, right? Who will be the greatest? Here Jesus just washed their feet, told them he's going to die. And they're arguing among themselves who would be the greatest. They're still with so much pride and self-reliance in their hearts. And then Jesus says this. Let's begin reading with verse, uh, verse 25, I believe, verse 25. And he, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who, what's the word? Serves. Jesus is trying to teach them again something here. For who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus is trying to tell these disciples, God wants to do something in you before he does something through you. And then skip on down to verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold Satan, behold Satan demands to have you, that he might, what's the word? Sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Man, I'm all in. What are you talking about? I'm with you. I'm with you to the very end. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. What is Jesus trying to tell Peter? That God wants to do something in you before God can do something through you. Can you say that with me? God wants to do something in you before God does something through you. Now, you notice here, how does Jesus refer to Peter? He calls him what? Simon. He says, Simon, Simon. He refers to him by his old name. He's trying to remind him of his human weaknesses, his human propensity for pride and for sin. It's not Peter the rock, but it's Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan demanded, Satan begged earnestly to have you. Just like in the case of Job, Satan demanded to have Job. So in that case, Satan has demanded to have you. Now, it's interesting to me, the you in the Greek here, is, it's in the plural form. Satan has demanded to have you all, all of you, to have you and the disciples. This is Satan's last desperate attempt to break up the circle of Jesus' disciples and to cast out its members like chaff, like Judas. And Satan has demanded to have you. And Satan has demanded to have you. Do you realize that? Satan is demanding your soul. And God wants to do something in you before God can do something through you. And God apparently used Satan to sift us. Now, what does that mean? You know, when I was a little tyke, uh, my mother uh, would be baking, 
And I was the oldest of the three tykes, and so I'd be the one to get to come in there and get this little stool out, and we'd be making cookies, and I would get this flour bowl out, and she'd give it to me, and I had this like little metal thing with a screen on it with a little wheel, you know, a little handle, and you would turn it like this. It's called a what? Sifter, you know, and I put flour in it, and I would crank it, and I really never really knew what I was doing. It seemed kind of stupid, but, you know, I would, I would put the flour in there, and I would sift the flour. Basically, I, my wife says what I was doing now was I was bringing in and aired the flour so we would mix or do whatever flour is supposed to do. Um, and I remember my mom. She was always so positive. She, you know, I was the son that could never do anything wrong. And uh, she'd always say, Raymond, you're doing a good job, but next time when you sift the flour, please put it in the bowl, you know. Now, the sifting that Jesus is talking about here, it's a little more graphic, it's a little more physical than the sifting of flour. Jesus says, Satan wants to sift you like what? Like what? Like wheat. Wheat. Now, sifting of wheat, it's, it's, it's a hard practice. It's not the easiest thing in the world. Um, they would, um, the sifting process, you separate the edible part of the wheat from the chaff, it's called, the unedible part. And it goes through a part today, a process today we call threshing or winnowing, where you actually take the wheat and you throw it up in the air. And by throwing it up in the air, you're trying to separate the wheat, the heavy part, from the chaff, the part you don't want to eat, and the chaff blows away. That's typically what they do and how they do it. And then after they do that, then they have another part, in which is called threshing, where they, they take the wheat and they actually they beat it, and they beat on it. They use a, a threshing pole or a tumbler, and they will beat the wheat to separate the wheat from the chaff. And then they throw it up in the air again, and the, and the chaff blows away. See, Satan wanted to take Peter, and he wanted to toss him. He wanted to grind him down. So he'd quit. So he'd give up. So he'd walk away from being a disciple, so that he'd go back to fishing. Why would God let Satan do that because God wants to do something in you before God does something through you. Peter was so full of pride and self-reliance, he needed to be sifted just like you and I need to be sifted of our pride and our self-reliance. Now, this isn't very good news for Peter. Hey, you know, Jesus being his friend since, you know, Satan's getting ready to sift you. Well, like, wow, who needs a friend like you, right? I mean, how will you take that? It's kind of like saying, hey, you're going you're gonna to enter the boxing ring with Muhammad Ali. You know, you're going to get whooped. Satan is, is ready, you know, to sift you. But Jesus tries to encourage them, and he says, but I have what? I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Now, honestly, I don't find that very reassuring. Like, thanks, Jesus. Why don't you just take Satan, you know, if you're on my side, rather than letting him sift me like wheat and beat me up? Why don't you just take Satan and throw him in a bunch of swine? Why don't you take Satan and bound him and throw him in a bottomless pit? I mean, that would be a lot nicer thing to do. Why can't you do that? Because God wants to do something in you before God does something through you. But I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. And your faith is real. And because your faith is real, it's going to persevere. And when you have turned again, and there's that word metanoia, when you've come to repentance, when you, when you understand what you're going through, when you've learned your lesson, strengthen your brothers. Now, have you noticed that sometimes Jesus is not very nice? He's always very kind, but he's not nice sometimes. 
Because he gives us what we need, not necessarily what we want. And Peter didn't want to be sifted, but Peter needed to be sifted. And I have learned the most in my life during great times of being sifted. But I never want those times again. (laughs) I really don't. But I'm a better man. I'm a better pastor. I'm a better father and husband because of great times of pain of my heart being sifted. And I got to say, when I read this story and really understand the story, I mean, God is just amazing to me. I mean, he really is. I mean, he's letting Satan do his dirty work. Satan is trying to harm us, but God is using Satan. Why do you think he's harming us? And he's really helping us and healing us. Because God wants to do something in you before God can do something through you. And as a result of being sifted, we end up with this new level of faith, a change in our character that's not available to us by any other means than being sifted by the evil one. See, sifting produces clarity. It creates purpose of who we are and why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing. So the real question in our story is not if if Peter's going to fail. Peter what? He fails. He denies Christ three times. The real question in the story is how will he face his sifting? How will he face his failure? And the question in your story, in your life, it's not if you're going to fail. Because let me tell you something. If you don't know it already, you're going to fail. And you're going to fail a lot. But it's not if you're going to fail. It's how are you going to face your failures. Because when you're sifted, you want to quit. You want to give up. You want to stop trying. So what do you do? What do you do when things don't go your way? Let's be honest. What do you do? You pout. I know you're an adult, but you pout. Throw a little temper tantrum. Or maybe you try to get even with someone who's hurt you or harmed you. Or or maybe you try to control your surroundings. You try to control other people. Or you try to control your circumstances when you're not getting your way. Or maybe you find yourself, you know, kind of hibernating in your man's cave. You just kind of withdraw. You just want to be alone when you're being sifted. You just want to be by yourself. Or do you find yourself spending a lot of time asking the why question? Isn't that what most of us do? Like, why, God? Why? Why Why now? Why this? Why? Why, God, why? Can we read this together? Out loud. God will not do something through you until you first allow him to do something in you. That's why. God will not do something through you until you first allow him to do something in you. You need to embrace the sifting process. You need to give yourself to the process. And you may be in a season of sifting. And if you choose to respond correctly, it could lead to a great harvest. Because God will not do something through you until you first allow him to do something in you. You see, sifting prepares you for your future. 
Sifting builds the muscle of your faith that develops your character. It strengthens you for what lies around the corner. You see, you don't know what lies around the corner. Christ does. God does. And God sifts you because he loves you and he cares for you. And he's preparing you for your future. But you're not going to be the future you that you need to be if you don't embrace the sifting process. And you know, that's a whole lot easier said than it's done. You see, the truth is, God is on our side. And he's trying to prepare us for the challenges ahead. God will not do something through you until you first allow him to do something in you. And scriptures tell us this repeatedly, that the challenges we face, that the, that the trials we face, it's all a process, and it's going on for a reason. And sometimes we don't know the reason why, but it's always trying to refine us. And Peter, the one that was sifted, years later, he writes his letter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, and he says this, get this, years later, he learned from being sifted. He said, these, what's the word? Trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's going to show that your faith is real. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through, 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 through what? We don't like that word many. I mean, give me one or two trials, Lord, but don't give me many trials. Your faith is going to be proven through many trials. I like to skip that word. It will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. See, God will not do something through you until you first allow him to do something in you. Our faith will be ratified. So the best thing we can do is to give ourselves to the sifting process, to let God's work run its course in our lives. But what do we do? We resist it. Come on, let's be honest. We fight it. We become angry and resentful. We become embittered. We blame God. We blame our spouse. We blame others. We blame everybody but ourselves, right? We fight the sifting process rather than embracing them and learning from them so we can encourage others. Now, let me be clear. God is not the author of evil and sin. God wants to use the evil in this world, even the work of Satan, to bring about good in our lives. But that can only happen if we choose to embrace the sifting process. What if everything that's happening to you right now is exactly what needs to happen to you? That's a great statement. It came right from Wayne. Great statement. What if everything that's happening to you right now, some of the junk in your life that you just hate, that you don't understand why, what if everything that's happening to you right now is exactly what needs to happen to you? What if God has a very good reason for you being in this difficult season in your life? Unfortunately, I've come to learn that a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. And I learned that through the, the tragic death of my good friend, uh, Bruce Borland, 15 years uh, this October, he was tragically taken from us on that plane with Payne Stewart. 
And I learned that God will not do something through me until I first allow him to do something in me. I must embrace the sifting process. And if I will embrace the sifting process, I will find God in it. When we're sifted, we're tempted to think, you know, I must be out of the will of God, you know, you know, I must, you know, bad things don't happen to good people. This can't be God's will. And again, let me be clear, God is not the author of evil. God is not the author of sin. God is not the author of disease and disaster and death. Satan seeks to kill and destroy. Jesus made that very clear in John chapter 10, referring to Satan. He called him a thief. He says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's what Satan does. Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And in our story this morning, we learned that Satan had to ask permission to sift God's people, just like in the story we read about Job, right? In other words, some of the difficulties we face have somehow been purposely placed in our path for a reason we might not ever know why. Why? Because God will not do something through you until you first allow him to do something in you. And I believe we kind of get stuck. We get stuck too often asking the why question or or the who question. You know, who did this and why did they do this and who did this and why did they do this? And we're always trying to figure out the who and the why rather than asking the will question. The will question is, will I trust God? Will I trust Christ? Will I look to him and embrace the sifting process regardless of the cause? Will I truly trust him? Because God will do not do something through you until you first allow him to do something in you. And I don't know why most of us, we've kind of bought into this life is supposed to be a bowl of cherries, you know, or, or a box of chocolate theology. Jesus taught the exact opposite. Jesus told his disciples this in John chapter 16. He says, in this world, you will have, what's the word? Do you know what the tribulation period is? You can read about it today. You want to have a fun afternoon? Read Revelations chapter 4 through chapter 19. It's called the period of, of tribulation, when all hell breaks loose on this earth. It's graphic. It's terrible. And Jesus says, hey, guys, hey, guys, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. So get ready, but take heart, take heart, because I have overcome this world. Jesus said, listen, guys, expect trouble, expect trouble. You shouldn't be surprised. You shouldn't be asking, why is this happening to me? You should expect trouble. The Christian life is not an easy road. It's a hard road. Jesus is trying to tell his disciples, listen, guys, you're going to fail, Peter's going to deny me three times. Pretty serious sin. Bad things are going to happen. Expect it to happen. Get ready for it. You see, the truth is, we don't have what it takes when we begin. We don't. We don't have what it takes when we begin marriage to have a, a truly enduring marriage. We just don't have what it takes. We don't have what it takes to raise great kids when we begin having, great, having kids. We don't have what it takes to be great in business. We don't have what it takes when we begin. We need failure. We need the sifting process. We learn. We learn our limits. We learn through failure. You can only grow 
through pain and problems and failure. You learn not to put so much faith and and trust and confidence in yourself. And you become less self-reliant and more God-reliant. Your faith is revealed under the strain of failure. So Jesus said, hey guys, expect trouble. And then he says, accept trouble. In the world, you'll have tribulation. You're going to expect it. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart. Accept the trouble. Take heart. Accept it. Accept that that where you are is exactly where God wants you to be. Accept that. Accept that where you are right now and what you're going through is exactly where God wants you to be for now. You see, the key to the sifting process is to stop fighting against God and what God is trying to do in our lives. It's to let go of control, to acknowledge that He is ultimately in the control of the process. We take heart when we accept the trouble and we acknowledge that it's Him who has overcome the world, not me. You see, we fight against our circumstances and our situations way too much. Rather than accepting them, rather than accepting that you are exactly where God wants you to be. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe right now that you are exactly where God wants you to be? Even in the midst of trouble, even in the midst of disappointments, even in the midst of trials, that you are exactly where God wants you you to be somehow us Christians we got this idea that if God is on our side and we're doing God's will it's supposed to be easy but it's just the opposite I mean the apostle Paul realized that look at this uh, first Corinthians chapter 16 Paul's writing the church at Corinth why is it Ephesus and he says this he says man I will be staying here at Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost he's writing I got that backwards he's writing the church at Corinth why is it Ephesus? is that what I said okay whatever I, I will be staying here at Ephesus until the f- a festival of Pentecost Why? Why is he staying there? Because what? There's a what? Wide open door for a great, great work here. Although, what's the word again? There it is. Many oppose me. He accepted trouble as part of God's will. God had certainly opened a great door of opportunity, but yet there were many people there that were giving Paul hell and heck. That's what I should have said. Open doors, being at the center of God's will, doesn't necessarily mean smooth sailing or no problems. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Sometimes we just need to take heart. We need to expect trouble and accept the trouble and just push through. And we push through by putting our faith in Him. So we need to expect trouble. Say it with me. You need to what? expect trouble we need to accept trouble and then we need to find God's peace in the trouble look at John 16 verse 33 at the very beginning Jesus said this man I have said these things again Jesus is not being you know very very nice but he's being kind he says I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace In the world, you can have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. You know, the greatest experiences of my life has been finding God's peace in the midst of chaos. The greatest experiences of my life has been finding God in the midst of being sifted. I mean, God just shows up. 
And his presence is so real. When you're hurting and you're brokenhearted and you just cry out to God, we're going to talk about this more next week, God just shows up in the most powerful, real way because God cares about us. But God just can't do something through us until we first allow him to do something in us. And when you humble yourself, God goes to work. Because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. That's what John said. Greater is he. Who's the he he's talking about? Jesus Christ. Greater is Jesus Christ who is in us than he. Who's the he here? Satan, the evil one, than he. He's the God of this world. Jesus is greater than the God of this world. The bottom line is my faith cannot fail. Your faith cannot fail. My faith, your faith cannot fail because Jesus is praying for me. And Jesus is praying for you. You will succeed. You'll make it through. And when you get on the other end, you'll be stronger. And you'll be better. And you'll be able to encourage others when they find themselves being torn and being sifted. The Apostle Paul put it this way. Paul says, man, I'm certain. You get that word? He says, I'm absolutely positively certain that God who began the good work within you, which is Christ in you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. Give yourself to letting God's work run its course in you. Rather than running from the problem, rather than running from this, the siftedness, embrace it. Because God will not do something through you until you first allow him to do something in you. And that's when you're going to experience God's peace. See, the good news about sifting is that we're always sifted for a reason. We might not know the reason. We might not understand the reason. But there is a reason. And the second thing about sifting, it's always for a season. The sifting process has a beginning and it has an end. And when the sifting process is behind us, we will be stronger. And with that strength, we can turn to others and strengthen them. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Can we pray? Their heads bowed. God will not do something through you until you first allow him to do something in you. Would you let God this morning do something in you? Will you give yourself to the sifting process? Can you pray and say, God, I thank you for the trials and challenges and the disappointments in my life. That's a huge, big prayer. God, I, I thank you for the trials, the challenges, and the disappointments in my life. I accept that I'm exactly where you want me to be. Help me to find you. Help me to find you. And this morning, if you're here, and if you have never found Christ, I hope right now that you will say, I believe. 
I acknowledge my sin and I put my faith and trust in you and I invite Jesus Christ to come into my life right now and to save me. Put your faith in him. And can we all pray this morning, help me to find you in my suffering. Help me to embrace you and to allow your sifting to proceed in my life. Help me to find you. And then can you pray, help me to strengthen others. That's when you know you've been healed. When you can share your story, how Satan sifted you, but Jesus prayed for you, and your faith didn't fail, because it's the real deal. God, we thank you that you love us enough to tell us not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. God, we thank you so much that Jesus wasn't nice, but he was kind. We thank you so much, Father, that you allow the evil one to sift us so that our faith may grow and become stronger. God, help us to find you. Help us to embrace the sifting process so that we might give more praise, more glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.